awesome being able to catch up with James from Rare Americans. We were able to talk to him over Zoom video. The first time we chatted with James was back in June of 2020. So we were still heavily in the midst of COVID and the coronavirus pandemic. And at that point, they had recently released the song Gas Mask. And it was interesting to catch up with him because when we last spoke, we talked all about the, the old record, the first record they put out. We did, we did catch up on a lot of that and had some follow-up questions. But at the time, Rare Americans were just going to release a few singles every three weeks or so, and then maybe an EP or a mixtape. Turns out they had a full record done the entire time. So he tells us why that whole process was really pivoted. They put out a record. They have another record, Rare Americans 3, coming out in October. And when we spoke to him, he was in the studio recording Rare Americans' fourth record. So they are constantly working, constantly recording and releasing songs. They're back to being an independent band, which is huge. But he really dives into the new stuff that Rare Americans has been up to. How they were able to make it onto Billboard as an independent artist and all the hoops they had to jump through to make that happen. He tells us all about the songs and the process behind this Rare Americans 3 record. And of course, a little bit about what they're working on now. You can watch part two of our interview with James of Rare Americans on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Rare Americans. Um, I've, I've actually re-listened to that episode that we had with you earlier today because I have a lot of follow-up questions, but obviously I want to hear about this new, new record, um, the third album you have coming out, right, in October? Yeah. And when I first talked, when I talked to you a year ago, you had just the first record out. You just put out Gas Mask, I believe, or you're oh, about to put out Gas Mask in the video. Yeah. And when we talked, you said, oh, yeah, we'll probably release a song every three weeks or so and then maybe make it a mixtape. And it's funny how it became a record, which is dope. And now you have another record. So I'd love to hear that all about that. So yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> how, how things change, I'm sure. It's so weird. It's only a year ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, at the time. We were with uh, Atlantic. We were on. Uh, we had a. We were on a major label deal there, um, uh -huh. and so we never really totally jived. I would say on the plan, kind of what we thought going in versus kind of what actually happened. So, um, you know, I think we wanted to put out a record. We already that song, Gas Mask. We had that whole body of work, which became RA2. That was all recorded and everything, and we we wanted just to release it because we were just really sitting on it for a long time. Um, uh, but they didn't want to. They kind of wanted us to just release songs. And um, oh. so Are you anyway, not with them anymore, it got political. Uh, we just didn't enjoy the process, really, to be honest with you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we learned that, you know, a lot of that business, it's, it's very much a, a hit space business. Um, and, and I totally get that. That's how they make money. Um, and they're happy to wait around for a year or two, pair you with the right producer, the right songwriters, kind of the right A&Rs to kind of find you that that hit per se. Um, uh -huh. And that's just not at the core of, I think, who we are and what we wanted to do. Obviously, we'd love to have a hit song who wouldn't, um, mm -hmm. but we're not, uh, you know. We, we the joy for us in a lot of this is the fact that, you know, a lot of the time my brother and I get to go and 
put our thoughts down on paper and, and, and work on these things, uh, you know, on songs and topics together and what we feel are cool and important issues. And, um, you know, we're, I don't think we're so desperate to get a hit that we, um, you know, don't want to share that time together. It's kind of the joy in how this project started. So anyway, sure. full circle, we, uh, we actually kind of bought ourselves out of our deal. Um, wow. and, uh, we decided to kind of go back to being independent. So, uh, as soon as that happened, um, you know, we were like, Hey, let's just put out this record as soon as we possibly can. So obviously kind of the, the breakup, uh, took a little while. Uh, right. just, you have lawyers and shit like that. Um, we had to get all our masters back. And so that, that took a few months to do. And then as soon as we had that and could get up and rolling, we had to make obviously a website and we had to get all our old catalog on Spotify and just the minutia kind of oh, the God. details of uh, the, the back end of a band that, that no one's interested in. Um, that took a little while. And then as soon as we did that, we, uh, we released um, that RA2. Um, uh -huh. And at this point in time, we had already had RA3 pretty much done. Um, oh, yeah, because you're just probably, as you're trying to get all the, everything back from the other record, you're obviously still writing, which is yeah, <laughs> you're it, moving it, forward. Exactly. And actually we're in the studio right now doing the fourth one. Um, so <laughs> wow. we've kind of always tried to stay one record ahead of what we currently have to release, I guess is kind of what we've been doing. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, as soon as we got out of it, we put out RA2 and then, you know, that was just, you know, a few months ago now, and we'd already had this RA3 re-recorded pretty much last year. So um, mm -hmm. we've just been kind of putting those songs out one by one, and then we'll uh, put kind of the whole body of work out in, in October and then move on to the next one. Wow. I love that. Well, it's I'm, It's funny to me that you say, you know, you, you work with Atlantic and they're trying to find you the right producer and right hit person that kind of, you know, put you together with, but you kind of did that on your own, right? Even with the first record T to go out and you get, you know, Joe Ciccarelli to help you on the record and you get, you know, you're working with the guys from Modest Mouse and you kind of did that on your own, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that says a lot for you guys and your band. I, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I wish I could say it was some kind of master plan, but really it's just, uh, you know, these day-by-day -day decisions that you have to make um, as you, you keep going um, and one thing leads to another. Um, so, yeah, I guess we felt that, you know, we had kind of done everything ourselves up until that point. So, you know, we figured why not? continue and to do mm -hmm. things on our own. Um, and that's kind of where we're at now. Um, mm -hmm. Trickiest part now is that we've just, we've really learned that the there's gatekeepers in the industry. Um, you know, the, and I think that the major labels have the huge advantage there on distribution and that's the relationships they have with the Spotify's and the Apple's and the Amazon's. And we don't get a lot of playlisting love, um, and things like radio, um, uh, those, those are very locked up, I would say. So yeah, that's kind I, of our biggest challenge. Yeah. That's our biggest challenge, um, by far, uh, is just trying to kind of crack into the industry as kind of outsiders. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, that's not easy to do. So that's, that's no. kind of our, that's kind of our, our fight right now. So, but you guys have been doing a hell of a job at it. I mean, the amount of the presence you have online, and this is something we talked about before, you guys were ahead of the curve when it came to, okay, we're not going to really focus so much on being the band that's going to put in 10 grand into this van and we're going to cruise around the country and try to play to 25 people in each market. You guys pretty much were like, we're going to make sure our records sound dope 
and we're going to promote the hell of it on out of it online. And then you kind of gain this fan base right in the UK. And that was kind of your first real touring experience. Yeah. I mean, and then at the world gets shut down and you're already a leg up on everybody because you had already been kind of feeding yeah, I that guess, formula. I guess kind of learned it the hard way uh, in the band I had before this, we did do the opposite of that. We, we, we got in the van and we're like, Oh man, we touring. That's what a band has to do. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't know that. And that was yeah, with the uh, Lunas. Yeah, correct. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, I mean, that was whatever, right? We drove all of, I, I'm, sure you haven't driven across Canada, but it's not like the States. You could drive 12 hours and not reach another city. So oh, uh, yeah. it's massive, it's, right? It's huge. Uh, so I, you know, we, we would pull into Ottawa or whatever city and there'd be like three people there. Uh, and then you kind of like, you know, on, on the next time around, you're like, was that really worth the time and money? Like, yes, we got better and we got better chops for sure. But mm -hmm. um, if you have no fan base, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that. So pretty much the the approach with rare Americans was the exact opposite. It was, you know, let's build an online following first and get enough people interested in our music and really liking us and start selling some merchandise online. And then when the demand is there, um, then let's go visit these cities and actually play shows where people are there. Cause that's a whole lot more fun. So mm -hmm. um, that's kind of been our, uh, our approach from day one with this band, um, you know, and now I feel like we're at the point where, I feel like the touring side is really important um, because it's just an, it's like another pillar. I think of the industry that you gain a lot of respect. Uh, mm -hmm. People like to go to shows. Uh, also, I think on the industry side, like I'm sure you go to shows, I'm sure, mm -hmm. um, you know, radio DJs go to shows, playlisters go to shows, um, journalists go to shows. People like going out and they like live music. So uh, I think there's really something to be said about that. I remember when we were recording the first record, I went to a show in Seattle, um, Wolf Parade. And I remember Cheryl Waters from KEXP was there. Uh -huh. uh, and she's obviously like, uh, she's a tastemaker. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people know her and she's got a great show and she's a, she's a very respected, um, you know, DJ. And um, so just like that, you know, if we ever played a show in, in Seattle, maybe someone like that would come because they love my, live music. And now you have an in maybe with someone that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of where we feel like we've, we've really put a lot of effort online and now we would like to go to her and, you know, visit some radio stations, meet some DJs and just, just get our name out there more on, on that side as well. Sure. Well, it's funny that you, you brought up radio cause I, I've been in radio for 16 years. I'm not in, in doing the podcast now, but yeah. uh, what I worked for a station in San Diego for a very long time called 91 X. And the reason why I knew your name and knew your band is because you guys sent yeah. merch to our radio station. And I had, and I was like, and we talked about this before, just not about the radio station part, but, but the, by your merch. I'm like, and I got this um, as, cause I was a DJ and I got this like uh, lunch pail and it had all yeah. this stuff inside, like a shirt and had a, like a weed yeah. grinder and all this stuff. And I have your record on a vinyl, like it all came. And I was like, this artwork is so dope. This like horse smoking a cigarette is so cool. And then I started checking out your band just because I had, and I've gotten, I used to get so much crap sent to me all the time and it would just be like, Oh, this record from some band. Okay, cool. But the fact that it came in this, yeah, I well, presented I, it. I was like, holy shit, like this is so rad. So I started <laughs> I, like invested in checking out your band. I, and, I certainly dug it. Yeah, I remember the process of packing those. It took us like <laughs> took us like a month, man. We had like we had our little studio at the time and we had like 
500 of these lunch boxes and we all were sitting there packing them. And then once we packed the lunch boxes, we had to print out the cards that had the individual names. And then we, I remember we, we fucked it up somehow and we got mixed up. And so we had to like start from scratch. And so we're like trying to, <laughs> we're trying to match like the address to the card and the right name. Uh, and then I remember we showed up at like the local shipping company. It was like a place called, it's like a drugstore. Uh-huh. And uh, me and Lubo showed up with like, 500 packages and i remember people in like in line were like holy shit i better come back <laughs> they're like i ain't getting behind this guy the, the lady at, <laughs> the lady at the till was like oh boy it's gonna be a long day um so i, I totally remember doing that but but the the the, the funny thing is like it, it it's like it, it, it works but it didn't work because at the same time it's like you could have gotten that and you could have checked out our band and that's great that that you did and you maybe we got on your radar a little bit but the difference between you hearing our band a little bit and uh, the program director or whoever you know if, if that wasn't you it's like they have to they have to sign off and want to really champion a band really for right for that to really work at all no, um, for sure. And but it did. I will say because I I was the assistant to the the PD and the music yeah. director there. Uh, it did get your name around the building because people there were talking about it. Like they're like, "Who is this band? Like what? Look, these are the coolest things." And you know, it it definitely got people's ears perked. And we I think we even probably played your record a couple times to be honest. And maybe oh, like cool. one of the new music shows because it was a thing. Like we're like, "Oh wow!" And then this is really cool. Like it was one of those things. Whereas yeah. they get hundreds of thousands of seats. Now it's like emails that just go straight to your, like, I'm sure junk, junk yeah. pile, unless yeah. some gatekeeper, as you said, you know, it's true. That's going to come in record rep. That's going to come in and say, Hey, you should check out rare Americans. They have yeah. done this, but like, it's kind of up in that same vein. Well, but like that- I said, that got your name in around our building for sure. Cool. Yeah. And I imagine we'll try that again for the next one. Um, but now we, you know, we hired a radio promo person for the first time, um, in Canada. Um, so we've gotten a a little bit of love, um, Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's, it's real tough, man. It's like the, the radio is really blocked up by kind of the, the acts who've been around for 10 years that when they release a new song, they kind of have to be played. Um, so we were in that world. We were in that world though. And I didn't, I didn't get it. It's like, yeah. Pearl Jam released that record kind of in the beginning of quarantine. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But why are we going to play three singles off of a Pearl Jam record for a band that really isn't even our demographic at the time was 18 to 34 year olds, which is half of those people weren't even alive when Pearl Jam put out 10. It's like, why are we catering to this band just because they were a su- like, give that to the classic rock station. You know what I mean? Totally. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. Like we, it's very surprising. Like even in, in Vancouver, um, you know, we've, we have been trying so hard to even get one spin on the local alt station and, uh, but we can't even get one spin here. Um, no They're idea why. Missing out. There you are. Not, yeah. Not sure. Um, you know, we've we've tried. We've we've tried to you know send them, you know, whatever stats and facts and and whatever that you know people might dig it. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really really tough uh, world to crack into. So we'll keep swinging. Um, that's kind right. of our always our mentality. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's super tricky. I'm interested to know because I mean your online presence is insane. I mean, you have like hundreds of millions of streams and views across your social media and your, you know, your Spotify and YouTube is radio really that is it that 
big of an impact still you think like i don't know good, as a good, radio guy good, like I just good feel question like... <laughs> um it, really good question it's it's i don't think it hurts if you can get champion right. like for example there's a band i don't even know if you would know them uh they're called arkells oh um, yeah dude i love arkells they okay. Uh, yeah okay i know them i know i have a shirt of theirs actually okay interesting so uh, <laughs> they're they're playing literally stadiums in canada like they're playing or arenas, sorry, they're playing arenas, uh-huh. not stadiums. So, you know, they their last tour, I think they're at 18,000 people a show. Um, massive. Right. But their streaming numbers are much lower than ours, which is right. so interesting. But radio, whenever they release a song, they're always, uh, it'll go to number one pretty much every single time. Really? Uh, so for we them, played them, we did play them at the station I was at, but, and they played one of our Christmas shows or something, but they were the opening band. Like they played yeah. first when people yeah. were like yeah. coming in. Yeah. So exactly. They're, uh, and in America, they're playing like three to 400 seat uh, rooms. Um, yeah. They're so playing small spots when they came so, through here. So for them, it's like, they're, they're the perfect example of, they are a radio band. Like they, they are absolutely championed by every station in Canada. Absolutely loves them. Whenever they put out any song, it's going to pretty much go to number one. So, Whoa, you know, that, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So for them, like that's, that's a, it's, it's, the biggest reason probably they are who they are. Um, so if, if I think if you can crack into radio in, in some regard, um, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt. That's fascinating to me. I had no clue. Cause I've like, I've said it from my end. It's like, do people really care? <laughs> but I guess it does help. It doesn't hurt. I obviously. There's also a weird, like, um, a respect or something. It's like, if you, if you hear a band on the radio, it's like, Oh, that band's on the radio. It's like, right. There's like a certain cachet to it or something that you feel like that band's famous or something. If you hear them on the radio, I don't know why, but it's people funny. still, yeah, people still have that. Um, they have that attachment and association with radio. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. Cause I mean, I just became so jaded to it. It was like, I'm, Oh I'm yeah. Sure. I t- yeah. I talk on the radio like six times a week for, you yeah. know, five hours a day. And it was like, does anyone take care? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I guess is, people cared. <laughs> is, is anyone out there listening to me or am I talking to my, you know, my microphone? Myself, right. Yeah. But um, that's interesting to me. Uh, well, I want to get back to you because this is all about sure. you. I know that you, you know, grew up as a hockey player, right? I mean, you did that forever up until about 19 is when you started playing, writing songs. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, but yeah, probably 18, um, something like that. Uh, yeah, I was playing in the in the Western Hockey League, and we had to, we lived at Billets, uh, like a host family kind of thing. Um, and then um, we always had curfew every night at nine or 10 p.m. So um, you know, I just had a lot of time in the evenings to myself. So that's when uh, you know I, I got a guitar and started playing, and pretty quickly wrote a song, and that just became like my life obsession, and I no longer cared about hockey at all. Uh, it was really <laughs> weird, really weird switch that happened uh, in my life and in my mind, and uh, yeah, that was coming up on 10 years ago, and um, I, I love it just as much now, so. Do you feel like that was the reason, like, did you, like, I mean, I, I didn't ask you this before, but how did you decide, like, you, was it because of the songwriting, then you're like, no, I'm, I'm not really that into hockey anymore. Like, was there something that happened, like a, a moment that you decided, like, I'm just going to d- focus on, you know, songwriting and guitar, you know, that route in life? Mm, I think it's like, um, it's almost like a relationship. It's like, if your if your heart isn't totally in it anymore, it's hard to give a hundred percent. And I think I experienced that with hockey. Um, you know, as the course, as time went on, I was playing in the Western Hockey League. It, 
it just wasn't quite as fun anymore. Like it, it, it's a, it's a multi-million dollar business. Um, you know, sure. there's, there's, there's big ticket sales. We were playing in front of 5,000, 10,000 seat audiences, uh, or crowds. Um, so you would, people got traded, you know, so your best friend could get traded the next day. Uh, you know, that, that happened all the time. Um, so it's, it's kind of a weird life to live, especially when you're 16, you move away from home when you're really young and your parents are really sad, obviously. And, um, it's just a, it's a totally different kind of way to, to live your teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think after several years of just committing all attention, energy, everything, and trying to be a professional, um, I remember my 18 year old year, kind of my NHL draft year, uh, I had a really good front half of the year and I was in the NHL central scouting and wow. I, I thought I was going to get drafted. Um, and then I had a shitty second half of the year, uh, and I didn't end up getting drafted. Uh, and that's, um, I don't know, took the wind out of my sails a little bit. Um, yeah, and I then, can see that. And then at the end of that year, I got traded from that team. I was, it was from Brandon, um, and I got traded to a place called Prince George. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Prince George, but it's, I remember the year I played there, we had the highest crime rate in Canada. Um, really? I've heard the name. I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, it's a really rough, rough town way up north uh, in British Columbia. So it's also the most uh, traveled city in the league um, because you're probably seven hours away from your closest game. Oh, uh, so you're constantly on the road. If yeah, well, we're, anyone. we're playing 72 games a year. So uh, half those are on the road. So, you know, we'd have to go, we'd be driving 20, 25, 40 hours sometimes to <sighs> go to, to go to Saskatchewan or go to Winnipeg or, or whatever. That's um, brutal. So yeah, you log, log a lot of hours uh, on the road. And I just think after a while, you know, I just didn't, I didn't love it as much anymore. That year, also my 19 year old year, we, we had a, lot of lot of issues on the team and uh, the coach got fired and the general manager i think got fired and it was just not not a very good setup and uh we didn't have a very successful team that year and uh that's when i started writing songs and i think the kind of the whole shebang of everything kind of Mm -hmm. mixed up into this smoothie of emotions or something sure uh, just kind of led me down a different path so and then you went what you just took off and went backpacking or something right you traveled for a while and yeah the end of that year, um, I, I decided to actually, I, I worked for a few months. I sold cars. Uh, I oh, really? To, I, I wanted to make some money uh, to pay for uh, the travel and whatnot. So I, I worked for a summer selling cars. Uh, so I worked at a Hyundai store um, and, and sold a bunch of cars and uh, got some good warranties there. Hyundai, huh? for four- <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Nice for the, they're the, the home of the five-year warranty. Whereas uh, <laughs> y- you, get, you get a Toyota or a Honda only three years. That was part of my sales page. I know, I know it very well. Never forget it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that one. Um, and uh, see, so yeah, after, after that summer, I, I went backpacking for four or five months. Uh, and then I came back actually, and I sold cars again. Uh, and then I left again uh, to kind of, you know, just, I guess, discover myself a little bit. I wanted mm-hmm. to see more of the world. And um, that's one thing I always recommend to every young person I meet uh, who's kind of coming out of high school or taking a break or finishing university or whatever. I feel like before you kind of jump into your real life and you get a job, I, I feel like you there's just not a better way to spend $10,000 and to to go around the world and to learn and to expose yourself to different cultures and different people. And, um, it was such a game changer for me and really opened my eyes. And, 
everybody I've ever met who has kind of gently pushed uh, or encouraged to do that has always come back and like given me a big hug and been like, thank you so much for telling me to do that. It was like the best decision I've ever made. So mm-hmm. uh, I know I always envy people that did because I didn't do that. And I'm always uh, like, ah, oh, man, I wish I would have done that. Like that uh, seems no. like. Never, never too late, late. man. <laughs> Except I, for I have two kids and a family. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. peace out. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna take myself backpacking for two months. <laughs> yeah, it's tougher. Actually, uh, Jan in our band, um, he's he's in his late 30s, and uh, he was actually working for IBM in Slovakia. Uh, Whoa! So he had a really good job, um, but he just he he hated it. He just felt like he was kind of a number on a list, and so he wasn't really sure what to do with himself. So he did uh, this famous walk in Spain called the Camino. Uh, mm-hmm. and pretty much you walk like 30 K a day, um, for a month and you walk through the whole coast of Spain, through Madrid, through some of the major cities. And, um, it's pretty much the purpose of the walk is like a spiritual, um, it's people who are often just trying to, you know, at a crossroads in their life and they're trying to kind of reevaluate things and figure out who they are. And it's often this solo time, you know, uh, walking for that many kilometers, uh, you know, you in the countryside kind of, and a lot of people come out on the other end of it with a, a bit of a, a new lease on life and a kind of a new, new plan and a new energy. So he said that was like one of the most game changing things he's, he's ever done in his life. Um, and actually I wrote a song about it on this, uh, this next record. So, Oh, um, really? Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for the music video of that one because it'll be really cool to see someone's journey through Spain and also through their, their mind, their journey as well. I love that. Your videos are so cool. Like all the artwork and everything you guys do is, is, is really dope. Um, Yeah. Uh, And we talked about this last time and the the cards that you guys had before that were just character cards. You said that those were going to tell the story and that's what kind of, you kind of implemented them into the newer videos, right? A little bit. Not um, as much. I think I'd be bullshitting if I said that we followed those, you know, those those cards. I wish we had that. <laughs> I wish we had that foresight on day one. Um, okay. I think at the, at the beginning we just thought they were kind of dope, and then we've we've tried to kind of implement the. I can never say this word anthropomorphic uh, characters, which is like the half human, half animal yeah. kind of characters. Um, that's been kind of a reoccurring theme uh, uh-huh. in a lot of the videos. Uh, sometimes we get asked about that. And I think it's really like um, a lot of it is it, it, it kind of softens the the subject matter a little bit. Like, um, you know, we had a song, Ryan and Dave, which is a true story about two people we know. And one of them, they're two cousins and um, we're best friends as kids. And then, you know, one kind of took the path of a good career and a family life. And the other one really got down the the whole of drugs and mm-hmm. mental health and substance abuse and found himself in prison and then got out and just really tough. And he'd always kind of go back to his cousin whenever he needed, uh, needed kind of some help or a couch to sleep on. And, you know, it kind of told their story. And uh, I feel like because they were kind of half human, half animals, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, made this story in the video a little bit easier to watch than, mm-hmm. you know, if it was just two real humans, uh, it's almost too close to home for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause a lot of I people, a lot of people know someone who's in a similar position or they have a sibling that's like that. And it's almost like this way, it makes it, you know, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, fictionalized in a way. Uh, digestible yeah. for people. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to ask you, so you were in, you guys had the Lunas first, right? And then, well, you went to school for music. You went to. Yeah, uh, went to audio engineering uh, and music production. 
And that's where you learn to record. And that's kind of been a big thing with Rare Americans from the beginning, right? Huge. Yeah, yeah. That, that was really helpful um, because there's one thing I often notice with bands who you could find a band who's a very good live band, um, you know, and they have a lot of energy on stage. They're really fun to watch. But if you hear the recorded tracks, they just don't hold up, um, mm -hmm. I find. And I think that there is a there's it's a totally separate thing between being a good songwriter and, and having, um, you know, good quote unquote production uh, and, and, and knowing how to record songs. Um, and I, I really think it takes a lot of reps uh, and it takes a lot of trying different things um, and experimenting and a certain level of technical ability, I would say, uh, being able to achieve things that you want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a big staple from us from day one was, you know, really just demoing our own songs and trying different types of production and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different when you work on a song, uh, and you're able to layer ideas down right away and hear them back instantly opposed to when you have, you know, four or five people in a jam room for two hours and someone's dealing with a breakup and someone's going through this and, <laughs> sure. um, you know, or you're getting fatigued or that's often, you know, especially in Vancouver, their jam spaces are very small. Real estate's very expensive. So, uh -huh. um, you can get tired. It gets hot in there. Um, versus, you know, this way you can spend eight hours working on a track and you're sitting down and you're drinking coffee or whatever, you're laying different ideas down. And, um, that's the way we've kind of worked since the beginning. And I think that's been, um, you know, big advantage for us to be able to just test out any idea we possibly could want at any given time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's also, also pretty fun. Yeah. And you can speak the languages and when you're in the studio with a producer or something, right? I'm sure that's helpful to be able to kind of get your, instead of not knowing anything and being like, oh, I want it to sound like this. You can kind of probably walk them through. Uh, yeah. We, we even, for. we even use a lot of the tracks we already recorded. Like, Oh, um, wow. You know, like for example, Lubo always has crazy cool different sounds and things that are just very hard to recreate. So if, if that's a demo that we worked on in February or something, um, you know, and now we're in whatever the, the summer in July and we're starting to actually record these songs, you know, that's, that was a moment in time that happened in February that, uh, you know, it's like, Hey Lubo, try to get that again and play it a little better. It's like, there's no point um, uh -huh. that it had so much kind of magic to it at the time. Let's just keep that exact performance, that exact sound. So um, pretty much in all the songs we do, we end up using a lot of the stuff that we, we recorded on our own. Like as a demo. Wow. Yeah. Just as individual tracks, whether that's guitars, it could be some oh, background, okay. it could be some background vocals. It could be, uh, you know, could be whatever, really. We oh. or even, it could be the lead vocal. Uh, you know, oftentimes when you do, uh, you just write a song and you just work on it. It's fresh. It's emotional. It's something that you've just gone through. You're really excited about it. So your vocal delivery is more probably enthusiastic than, something that you're trying to remember happened a year right. ago or eight months ago. And it's like, get back into that headspace. It's sometimes hard to do, or it takes on a different meaning. So there's definitely been times where we've just used the original vocal performance um, because it was more inspired. That's a great point. I never thought of that. Yeah. You get it. You're capturing that emotion in that moment. And then yeah. you're not going to have to try to recreate it. It's like in you're acting right. really down the way you're kind of acting. You're trying to be like, right. I oftentimes I'll have to go back and really read the lyrics and be like, I haven't looked at this song in months. What was this song actually about at its core? <laughs> Who was it about? Why was I writing it? Um, 
And I'll often even write notes to myself of like, ah, this is why, and this is how, and this is how this part should be, you know, mm-hmm. the, the emotion that I guess it was trying to convey in the lyric. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. Music's yeah. hard, man. Music's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Music's hard. I like that. Uh, I want to back up to just kind of the inception of the band. I know it's you, you and your brother, you guys are in the Caribbean and you're like, let's write a song. And he's like, let's write a whole record. I, I, you did tell me in the first conversation that you're, you're, cause this is your older brother, right? You have two brothers, two brothers. Yeah. And the other brother is a guitar is a singer songwriter, right? Or was, uh, yeah. Singer songwriter. Yeah. Long, uh, a while ago, uh, he's, he's a great songwriter. Uh, he had a couple records. Uh, uh, I always really loved his songwriting. Um, and then, yeah, he kind of stopped, um, doing that several years ago. And now he's actually, we switched, we flip-flopped. Uh, he's actually in the sports business. So, uh, Collins, the general manager of the Saskatoon blades, which is a, a Western hockey league team. So the league I played in is called the Western hockey league. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's like the league, the pros draft from, uh, uh-huh. so he's, he's a general manager of one of those teams as well as the general manager of, uh, the Saskatchewan rush, which is the professional lacrosse team. Wow. Um, I don't know the nearest lacrosse team to you. I don't know if, uh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Now I moved over okay. like since the last time we, so I was in San Diego, California, and then I moved yeah. to Nashville. Okay. So I, I don't, lacrosse I don't know if was big at my high school, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if there's a, if there's an NLL team there or not, there's several throughout the States. There uh, is one in San Diego, actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought there was one in San Diego. They started so. like right when we lost the chargers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a replacement. Yeah. We got a lacrosse team. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's a general manager of the rush too, who plays against them in that league. So he's, oh, that's he's, cool. He's fully in the sports business now. I was curious if he was pissed at you for starting a band with your other brother without him no we've actually invited him several times to to come write songs but um no i, I don't know i, I meant in he, the beginning though like when you're like hey we came back and we got this whole record oh, I, two you know of us. I, I haven't actually directly asked him that question but i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure there was a little bit of like uh you know a feeling of feeling left out or wishing sure. there he was a part of it or something but um i think for him songwriting was a very uh uh, a thing he did in his his solitude and mm-hmm. you know he you know he was writing about things that were happening in his life when he was uh he was uh, actually on a tennis scholarship in eastern illinois um, oh wow so you're so all athletic sounds like yeah yeah we have an athletic family so that's when he was uh he was really into songwriting um and so i think that the collaborating and working on a song he'd never really done before so it was uh-huh. uh, a bit of an unfamiliar process to him i think sure okay well, okay. So that first record, you guys, you know, you, you did a lot of the writing there and when you first decided in, in the Caribbean, but you came back and wrote a bunch of songs. You had like what, 25 or so songs and you reach out to Joe Ciccarelli and he takes on this project, which is crazy, right? I'm sure what a validating moment to have that guy say, Hey, this is good. I want to work with you. Yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah, I remember he, uh, I, I sent it to his agent and the demos that we had at the time were literally like, uh, I had crickets in the background. We was on the front porch. I would, it was literally in the Caribbean. We had my iPhone. So you could hear like the, the wind in the evening and just me and my brother screaming on these demos. And, 
anyway, I think his agent initially was kind of like, okay, there's maybe something here, but I don't know, this is maybe a little rough, but he's like, I'll send it anyway. And then uh, he ended up, Joe, I guess, really liked the spirit of the song. So he called me and, uh, and he said he really, uh, he enjoyed it. He liked the lyricism a lot. He liked the cheekiness of it. Um, and so he, he was interested in doing the project and uh, that was a lot of fun, really good learning experience. Uh, we learned a lot from him. Um, he's such a hard worker. Uh, that was one thing that was like, you know, the guy takes like a 10 minute piss and eats a sandwich. And besides that, he spends literally 10 hours. <laughs> 10 minute piss. Yeah. And then, he, <laughs> and then he's like, uh, and then he's just at the board all day long tweaking. And uh -huh. he's just, he's a really, really hard worker. So um, yeah, we learned a lot about that process. And uh, it was also, it, it was just, it was fun. And it was a cool experience to kind of launch the band. Yeah, you get to work with what uh, Eric Judy and um, Joe no, Palmer. Monster. Oh, but oh yeah, Eric Judy had a hernia or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He pulled out right before. So uh, Yuki Matthews stepped in, who was the bassist from the Shins. Oh, he's in the um, Shins. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and then Joe Plummer uh, was a really good guy. We liked him a lot. So we actually had him back, and he came to Vancouver for the second record, RA2. So he's the one who played drums on that record as well. Oh, really? That was my next question. If you had a chance yeah. to, to, to work with them again on that second album. So you yeah, did, we, Joe Plummer. What about Eric, Eric Judy? Did he make it back or no? No, uh, <laughs> no, I hadn't talked to him. Uh, but uh, we, we had found a bass player in that time period who actually happened to be kind of our chief engineer um, who was engineering all the demos that we had for RA2. So, um, I felt it would be a bit of a disservice to him to try to just bring in another basis for the record when, right. you know, he had spent the better part of six months, you know, spending a lot of time and energy on these songs. So we, mm -hmm. uh, and he was also a good bassist. So uh, he played bass and then we didn't have a drummer. So Joe came and played drums. That's cool. That's cool. And were these songs all done? I mean, when you put out gas mask, that was, Part of that batch. Yeah, that part of that batch. And you wasn't going to become a record, right, at that time? It was just going to be singles? singles. Well, no, it was going to be a record. Uh, but then Atlantic came into the picture uh, right when we oh. were releasing the first ones. Um, the first three were Brittle Bones, Nikki, Milkman, and Ryan and Dave. And Brittle Bones, Nikki kind of took off online. Oh, yeah, that's um, huge and, that, and And that's when we got a lot of interest from labels. Um, so that happened in, like, September, I think, twenty. 19 and then that's when labels started calling us and we met with this label apg atlantic and then through kind of like october november december january february march it took fucking forever man to, <laughs> i just couldn't believe the amount of back i thought like a record deal was like okay we, we like they reached out to us uh we had a really good call the a and r guy is awesome i really like him his name's dan um and then they flew us to la like literally three days later uh, and wow. we had this, we had this big meeting, we met with the CEO, um, and, uh, had a great chat. Everybody was on the same page. They gave us a day in the studio. I think they kind of wanted to like test us out a little. Um, and we threw down two tracks, totally produced them that day on the spot. Um, and they, they quite liked them. Um, uh, so I think that kind of passed the test a little bit uh -huh. that we were, we were the, the real deal. The so real deal. <laughs> um, and then I thought like, I thought like, okay, we're going to go through paperwork for like a week. Uh, and then we're going to be off to the races and fuck, man, it took six months. Like, it, it was just insane. Like I just couldn't even believe how long it takes. Um, so anyway, that whole gap, um, if they never entered the picture, we would have already released that record with gas mask and hullabaloo in Berlin. 
Um, but uh, anyway, we didn't want to until the deal was done. So there was a big lapse of time. And then once we were fully on board with them, that's when we released Gas Mask. That's when we chatted. That's when mm -hmm. kind of the publicity started and the PR team at Atlantic probably reached out to you. Um, and then uh, we wanted to kind of put out the whole record because we'd been sitting on it for so long, but they didn't want to. Uh, so then more time kind of passed and then, uh, that's when we kind of got out of the deal, uh, around Christmas time and then come full circle, we were independent and that's when we were like, fuck, we just need to, we just need to Get put these out. songs out. They've been in my iTunes library for literally two years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Is the record a concept album? Uh, RE2? Yeah. No, no, not just, really. There's just stories amongst the songs. Yeah, that's one thing I've been playing around with this time now is figuring like, does a record need to have like, I'd be curious in your opinion, does like a record need to have a through line? Does it need to be uh, a story of something or someone that someone went through? Or can it just be a collection of songs that are seemingly unrelated? I think it can be a collection of songs that are seemingly unrelated. And I think most, I mean, I would, it'd be hard to argue that a lot of the best records ever are like yeah. concept through, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I, but think I don't so think too. it needs to happen. I mean, the first record I fell in love with is Dookie by Green Day, and there's no like connection to any of those songs within the record. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's kind of my thought too. Um, but now it's like we've we've entered this weird territory by animating everything, and people like you know wondering like, is this connected to that? Is this connected right. to here? So now I'm like, fuck! I've like entered this spider web of being like, <laughs> shit, man. How do we form like this, like Star Wars, like this character is <laughs> sure. this one, but it's actually here. But I feel like if we can actually pull it off, it would be like unbelievable. But um, it's just so hard. Um, so anyway, now I'm back to like the point of like, OK, should we just, you know, pick what we think are the 14 best songs and they don't have to necessarily follow any type of, you know, storyline. Yeah. What about, but, but RE3 isn't, isn't that, isn't that presented as a concept or no? Kind of a little bit. I never used that word in particular because okay. I believe like a concept record is something that you sit down and you're like, we have a blank page and here's Let's... the, here's the concept and here's the first song. And okay, now we go move on to chapter two. It wasn't written like that. Um, okay. Again, these were just like a year of thoughts and a year of different experiences. And it just so happened that the songs ended up being a lot more personal, I would say. Um, they were told from my perspective, things that I had gone through versus the first two records weren't like that. They were more outward. Um, mm -hmm. so then kind of, once I kind of figured that out by looking at the songs that we recorded and the songs I liked the most, um, it was like, okay, these songs are, are, are pretty personal. It's about me really uh, in my mm -hmm. life. So why don't we introduce this as my kind of character, uh, mm -hmm. and use, use it as an opportunity to kind of propel my my avatar, so to speak. Um, so that was uh, the decision for that. So um, most of these songs are literally little snippets of my life and little stories from my life. Most of them are totally true stories. Wow. And because that, that's called Jamesy Boy and the, the Screw Loose Zoo. So I figured like, you're obviously Jamesy Boy, I would assume. <laughs> and it's probably your storyline of going through it. But um, you did reference in one of the songs, like for, for example, PhD, that's not about you directly. No, so but some, uh, of the, some of the, but, but a lot of them are. Yeah, it's not about uni. me, but it's connected to my character um, because uh, throughout this pandemic, I started interviewing fans uh, for fun. So the idea oh, was cool. I got to interview them, not the other way around. So I was asking questions. And one, 
one of the one of the fans, his name was Nick, um, and he just had a remarkable story. Um, he um, was diagnosed with being bipolar when he was about 12. Um, and so he was put on kind of heavy medication and really like the light went off uh, and he, his life became very gray and he, he became somewhat of a hermit. Uh, he lost a lot of his friends. Um, he gained like 60 or 70 pounds. Uh, he stopped doing activities that he liked doing. Um, and, um, I believe bipolar, I mean, I'm no expert, but I think what it is, is people who have a very large emotional spectrum. And so what, what pills do essentially is to shorten that a little bit. So you're not as happy or you're not as up and you're not as down. You right. Can, it's you, kind of in, you can kind of yeah. fluctuate more of the through line, but for someone who has a normal range of emotion, if you if you're medicated and it's smaller now, it's kind of like you can't experience any highs or any lows. Mm-hmm. Um, so he felt very numb, um, mm-hmm. and he he always thought that he didn't really have this. Um, so when he was in his later teens, seventeen or eighteen, he got a second opinion, and um, the doctor said, I, "I I don't think you need these pills. I I don't think you're bipolar." Um, so he got off the pills, and it's like the light bulb. He got a new light in his life. He wow. he lost. He lost 60 pounds. He went back to playing lacrosse. He got all these friends. He went to university. He uh, He's now jacked. Like he's like working out like a freak. He got a girlfriend uh, and he wants to essentially be a doctor. So his, his kind of life mission is so no kid will be kind of misdiagnosed like he was. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, wow. I learned. Yeah. So he lost like five years of his life. Easily yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I learned this all through our Zoom interview. So uh, and then I, I asked him for his permission. I said, can I write a song about this? Um, and he said, of course, man. So I kind of wrote the song from from his perspective. But it is kind of related to my character because it was inspired, obviously, by a conversation I had with him. So, mm-hmm. wow, that's cool that you're doing that even through the pandemic. So it's so finding out about your fans you do what like q a session or you try to win an opportunity to have that i was just randomly calling people like i would just put up (laughs) we would just put up a post being like hey does anybody want to do a zoom call and i would do like three or four in a row for 20 or 30 minutes and uh it was interesting to just get to know people from all over the world and uh you know figure out who they are and why they like us and what other stuff they like and what they want to do in their life and um, you know, it's, 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 it's all over the place. Like I just couldn't believe the, the spectrum of different people and different people who listen to our music. And, um, also the, a, a cool thing was the amount of different artists that people liked who also liked our music. Um, cause I know growing up, like my brothers are, are 10, 11 years older than me. And, you know, if, and even you, if you, if you were into green day, like, you know, being a punk rocker was like a sense of identity. You were, oh sure, yeah, you I, were, a, I, you, you were a punk rocker. You were, you were that, that was who you were. You didn't listen to hip hop. No, part of you, yeah, you listened to Green Day and Operation Ivy and Rancid, and you didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah that, no, that was, how dare you put on like, yeah, anything yeah, that, other than punk rock? Yeah, that gave you like a real sense of identity and who you were, and it gave people a sense of you know standing up to people and believing in yourself and you know i think a lot of that is kind of the punk rock ethos is questioning authority uh like for example fuck 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 authority yeah so you know that was it was it was very stewed into my brothers uh, even now like there that is that punk rock influence still even as business leaders and they're almost 40 years old that's still they have a punk rock mentality 
um, versus now that doesn't exist really. Uh-huh. Uh, people don't consume media like that anymore. You know, you're, you're, you could have a rare American song next to a Mac Miller song, next to a Bieber song, next to a Rancid song or a Blink-182 right. song. And all of them are kind of cool. It's, it's, it's kind of like the, the, you know, the next generation just, doesn't give a shit about any right. of that. They don't. And what? And, and I've had this conversation before, and it's really fascinating that you brought this up because if you take a, a festival lineup now, for example, like if you look at the first like Coachella lineups, it was all like indie, like they'd get a big headliner, but it would be like Radiohead or it'd be, you know, The Cure. It'd be somebody up in that same vein of like very like artsy yeah. Yeah. hip bands. Now it's like, Kendrick Lamar, Beyonce, and then you also see like Tame Impala. Impala. Yeah. yeah, it's like okay, so wait, so you can like Tame Impala and Beyonce? That's cool now. Like it, it's just a concept that was never a thing, and selling yeah. out it was isn't a thing anymore. I feel like no, that no was a big thing. deal. You were yeah. like, oh, Green Day sold to a major label. Like ugh, that band sucks now. Are they they're gonna put out garbage now? And it's like. No, nobody even cares. That's everyone's goal is to go online and have a viral success. And that was exactly. never yeah. uh, thought in anyone's mind before. It's like once yeah. somebody else thought it was cool, once the, you know, the, the popular kids thought it was cool, then it wasn't cool anymore. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's cool. It's, it's like good and bad. Um, I do too. I think it's kind of cool that there's no real line. It's like no distinct line anymore. It's kind of blurred. Yeah, but maybe the messages aren't as strong either. Um, you know, I think that punk rock did a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it really influenced people in a in a real solid way, and it, it really is part of their mental makeup. Um, and I don't think that you get that same almost leadership now, um, based on like because you you had a real sense of community uh, mm-hmm. with with it. If it's, if it's like you saw someone wearing a patch of a band you liked or a vest or something, you're like, fuck, we're going to be friends. Yeah. Like this guy's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we should have dinner together or something, right, like, you know, right. but, but now it's like, I feel like people, uh, it's, it's harder to get like a sense of community now um, because it's just so, it's so wide open. Sure. That's a good point. I never thought about that part. Like you'd see somebody come in and you're like, okay, this guy's cool. He's got yeah. a he's got a rancid patch on his back. Like, yeah, I think I think weed is really like that too. Like if you see sure. someone, if you see someone's a weed smoker and you're a weed smoker, um, you feel like you're kindred spirits in a way. Um, right. That, you're like, okay, this guy gets me. Yeah, it's it's like some sort of thing that's like uh, you feel like uh, we know what's going on, kind of thing, or something like that. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. It's yeah, it's interesting how how things like that bond people. For sure. Sure. That's funny. <laughs> well, okay. So you put out the, obviously put out RA2 and now you, you, you're releasing RA3, but you're working on the fourth record now. So tell yeah. me, was, was the third record written kind of during this whole limbo period with the label and yeah, a lot of it out when to get these songs out and how you're going to get these songs out? Yeah. We were just actively working through the pandemic every day, kind of writing songs, demoing songs. Um, and uh yeah that you know i remember i think i sent them 75 songs and i think they liked one (laughs) (laughs) the label yeah uh, oh my gosh so at that point i was like oh man this this just it's not fun for me anymore um i don't know i clearly don't know how to write a hit um (laughs) so that, that just wasn't super fun for me and i liked a lot of the songs so uh anyway we decided to to record uh the record and 
then over the course again of the last, you know, so RA3 was recorded just about a year ago, um, pretty much, I think it was June, 2020 during pretty much when the first wave of the real lockdown ended, I think it was about June and there was like a slight reprieve where things got open a little bit. So I remember we got like the first studio date that was open. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know the studio owner here pretty well. So he was, we were going to keep a tight circle and he was cool with it. So, uh, we recorded RA3 then, and now we've essentially had a year has passed. So that's just a year of songwriting, um, to kind of pick from. So, uh, we've had, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 demos or something. So, and it's just trying to narrow down and be like, okay, what do we think is a a cohesive record? That's one of the best songs kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. so now, now we're here. Wow. I'm curious to know if Baggage was, was was a song you sent to Atlantic and they turned it down. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look, yeah. look at that. You showed them five million views later and, you know, the song's beating what well, Machine Gun Kelly and St. Vincent on the all chart there in, in Canada. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> Can't win them all. Actually, you know, it's funny, man. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. I, I have too big of a mouth sometimes. Um, but I, I was listening to <laughs> Macklemore, an interview that he did. Um, which he hadn't given an interview in a long time. And it was like uh-huh. a full hour long interview. And I think it was with Talib Kweli. And he, oh, was sure. talking about, he was talking about the journey of being, uh, of being independent and whatnot. And um, part of it, he said, is like, people assume that major labels were like knocking on our door like crazy, but they weren't. You uh-huh. know, he was like, he was like, and then the one person he name dropped, he's like, I remember walking into Mike Karen's office and playing him thrift shop and can't hold us down. And, and he told me this was some underground shit or something. And, <laughs> and so he never got offered a deal. He didn't get offered anything. And obviously Mike Karen's the one who, who signed us, um, or APG did. And so uh-huh. anyway, uh, and so anyway, those two songs became like the biggest songs of the year that they did oh, independently. Dude. So yeah, they won a Grammy, right? Didn't yeah. they win album of the year with the record? Yeah, they just totally cleaned up. So anyway, it just goes to show that like, you know, even people who have unbelievable track records and I got a lot of respect for Mike Karen. I think he's a really smart guy and, and he obviously mm-hmm. his track record speaks for itself, um, sure. but you, you can't, you're not going to hit a home run on everyone. You're going to miss some and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, some happen when you didn't expect them to and, and whatever. So I, that's why it's, it's often tricky when, you know, you're trying to evaluate songs and, you know, you're going to like something different than the next person. Um, so it's hard to be like, this is the one, you know? Right. Especially I feel like nowadays too. I mean, it's so bizarre. Some of the songs that come out of like TikTok, you're like, wait, what, how is that? Like I have a 13 year old and he's playing songs. I'm like, this is a hit. Like I would have never picked that if, if somebody was telling me like, Oh, this is the next big song. I'm no, no way. And then yeah. you're like, Oh my gosh. Wow. You can't okay. really trust. You can't trust your ears anymore. You got to, no, you the, can't, you have to trust your 13 year olds because you do. they're That's, the ones who are listening. Right. 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 It's crazy. <laughs> well, that must've been pretty, I mean, I would assume validating again in the sense that like, yeah, we did it. Our, we did it ourselves. We put the second record out and look how, well you know it's been received yeah we made it a goal uh to try to get on billboard uh, because that had never happened before um Mm -hmm. and we were we knew we were really close um but right at the fucking end we realized (laughs) that um like because youtube uh a a certain amount of views count to an equivalent album sale um really (laughs) yeah and so we had a lot of obviously youtube big for us so we're like Mm -hmm. okay with with the physical pre-orders we already have, plus our YouTube and Spotify, we project we're going to have this many first week sales. So we think we're going to chart on Billboard. 
And then we found out that we were considered a web creator on YouTube because in order to be considered an official artist on YouTube, you have to be distributed by a YouTube partner. So that means you have to be an, a, a label or you have to be like a, like a licensed distribution company to YouTube. And we were not either of those. And we tried to contact YouTube in every way imaginable. Um, and we're part of the YouTube partner program. We're part of everything. Yeah. And uh, we could not get anybody to help us with this issue. So we literally were like down to the wire because there's a cutoff for first week sales. And we knew if YouTube didn't count, they probably wouldn't count. We probably wouldn't chart. Uh-huh. Um, so the very last second, we found this company uh, called Studio 71, who's like a YouTube distributor. That's just what they do. Um, so we ended, we ended up getting a lead with uh, someone who's like an account executive there. So he ended up bringing our catalog overnight, uh, like down to the wire to get it uploaded on their platform so we could be considered an artist and these sales could count towards first week sales. Um, and in return, obviously, we, we have to pay them like a 15% of our, our YouTube revenue. It's high. Oh, um, Wow. So anyway, but we wanted to chart and we didn't know if we would. And uh, anyway, at the very last second, we found out we did. So uh, we were, that was like a, a proud moment. That's I think. huge. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, Thanks, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is amazing. Proud, that is so yeah. cool. Yeah, it was that a proud so moment cool. for everyone. But it was just another thing that it's like, uh, that's why being an independent artist is so hard. It's like you have all these things that you just don't know about. And how could you? Um, right. How would you know that you needed to be through a distribution? Like you would assume that, okay, I put my stuff up. It does really well. Like I'm just, I'm distributing it myself. Like why, yeah. why am I a creator? Like we're obviously a band. We've it put seems out records. Like, it seems kind of like anti YouTube. That's what, that's, right. what, that's what surprised me, but it's a thing. So, um, you know, we've now learned that, that you have to be with a distributor on YouTube to be considered an artist. So, um, can you anyway. build your own distribution company? Not really. And become no. like Rare Americans distribution on YouTube. No, I looked. I looked. Looked into it. Um, not very easy to do. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's tricky, man. It's tough. So there's a lot of just a lot of little hoops and bounds and little gatekeepers everywhere. It seems like exactly. So, <laughs> uh, and I'm. I'm one thing. I'm 100 percent sure of. It's the not the last thing that we're we're gonna learn. Um, there's there's going to be all sorts of these things as time goes on. Uh, New little obstacles <laughs> that you just got to overcome, and uh, uh, it's just the everyday life of being kind of an independent small business, really, right? Sure, sure. So you're currently at the studio now, working on the fourth fourth record. Yeah. Okay. So how far along are you guys in uh, this just, process? We're just like day day two or, okay. or day three, so we're kind of just starting. So we have. Uh, two weeks now and then another two and a half weeks in September. Um, studios here are busy um, mm-hmm. since everybody was locked down. I think a lot of people wrote a lot of pandemic songs. Uh, <laughs> Go, your favorite type. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now that everybody's recording them. So anyway, we got about a month of time kind of booked off uh, and we'll record this as we're kind of releasing RA3. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the goal for us is just not to let any real amount of time passed before we we release something else we just really wanted to keep releasing stuff so we'll probably try and stay you know one foot ahead uh, every time and as we're releasing a record hope to have the other one recorded kind of thing i love that that's amazing and did you say this was you're looking through the the lines of a concept or not really kind of i've been trying to like um trying to just sift through the songs to be because it's all different that's the other thing about our band is like we're not like green day where it's like the song's sound fairly similar i, I think sure. with us 
we'll go from a hip hop song to a pop right. punk song to a, a gypsy weird Slovakian <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> song to like, so sometimes it can be challenging to be like, do these songs work at all right. together? Um, but I like them both. So maybe Keeping we should, <laughs> but, but I, I think over time we've also learned that that's, you know, that's part of, I guess the charm of our band is that um, you're not going to get songs that all sound the same. Um, you're probably going to get a lot of variants. Um, and we've come to kind of embrace that, I guess. I love it. Well, I can't wait to hear um, what you got coming out. And obviously the new record, which is coming out in October. It's baggage is dope. The video is dope. So I'm, I'm assuming you're going to keep going on with it with the animated videos. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, we've really actually uh, upped the ante there. We, uh, we actually formed a business partnership with the animation company uh, Solus. So we're kind of all under one roof now. Oh, uh, cool. So we have a lot of projects uh, in development, also a couple of TV series that we've been working on together um, to kind of flesh out the kind of the universe and some of the specific stories a little bit more. Um, That's rad. Uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's a much bigger process though. Um, you know, making a song in a music video seems just like a piece of cake uh, compared to going through scripts and voiceovers and animatics and uh, trying to get your story great and your performance is great and the, the music and the sound effects it's like it's just such a process so um, <laughs> can't imagine <laughs> I, I got a lot got a lot of learning ahead of me uh in the next several months but um that's fun it keeps every day interesting and um you know i'm, I'm looking forward to kind of the next year I love it. And if you need a voiceover guy, you know. yeah, yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> you need a voice. I think we're putting out I know a guy that works too. cheap. <laughs> awesome. I love it. That's great. Shoot your shot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, James, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. It's always great to to talk to you. And, yeah, thanks uh, very much for for having us back. And I'm sure it won't be uh, won't be the last time we chat. I love it. I have one more question before I, sure. I let you go here. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? I know I asked you this last time, but I'm going to ask um, it again. Advice for aspiring artists. Uh, I think the big thing for me is that people need to really be passionate about what they do. Um, and you can't really, you got to be consistent and you just, you, you just have to do it so much and so often um, that it's just like a professional athlete. You can't, you know, if you're a pro athlete, it's not like you're training once a week. Um, you know, you have to do this every single day and you have to be obsessed with it. And you have to really commit to writing so many songs, even when that feels very tiring and like you're out of ideas, you just got to keep, keep doing it. And, um, I, I think you just gotta, you can't underestimate the amount of hard work that goes into it. Um, I remember that was one thing, um, my girlfriend, when I, when I met her, she loved music, but she had no idea about what goes into a song. Um, and I think the average listener, when they, they hear a song, they take it at face value and they give it 10 seconds now. And they're like, I like it. I don't next. Yeah, but it's right. like, if you saw the journey of that guy who wrote that song, yeah, that song probably happened a year ago. He stewed on the lyrics and then he worked on the melodies and then he recorded it. Then he had to make it video then he had to make a marketing campaign for it um so just once people get to kind of pull back the curtains a bit to to learn kind of how a song eventually reaches an audience um there's there's a lot of steps and a lot of hard work uh, that go behind it so i think if you're a young artist you have to educate yourself in a lot of areas and you just have to do it a lot so.